Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. When all without saying, I'll be there and you'll be near, and that's the deal, my dear. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. How are you, Simon? All good? Have you been up to anything interesting? Tell me a story, Simon. Oh, I've got stories, mate. I've got stories. Uh, first of all, what a, what a lovely little bit of poetry Too to right. start us off with. That's really nice. <laughs> Oh, it was good, mate. I treated myself to a bit of football last night. Were you at Bayern Munich, perhaps? Or, or did you go see Dortmund play? Or maybe you were at the Schalke Stadium? Or? I mean, those would have all been pretty cool experiences. I'm not sure if I'm ready for such a big stadium. But no, I, it was a bit more local, a bit more close to home. Oh, so you went to see Nuremberg or Fürth? <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to go and see Nuremberg. I'm not sure if I'm ready to go to a Fürth game myself yet. But no, not them either. A little bit closer still. Uh, I'm I'm lost for words. I have no idea what I can possibly say that would answer the conundrum <laughs> of where you have watched football. Well, I mean, it's all about the acronyms, isn't it? I went to see TSV Katzwang play against the mighty RTV Franconia. RTV Franconia is my wife's team. And ah. She started playing football last year, having never played a team sport in her life. And yeah, this is now her second club, and this club is the first women's team that RTV Franconia have had. Uh, so they are a valiant group of ladies leading the charge, but unfortunately they're also getting thumped <laughs> quite oh, regularly. No. What was the score? Yeah, last night was the best performance of the season so far. It was a three 0 loss. Hey, you know, happens to the best of us. There were some some real positives. There's, there's progress that's been made over the course of the season, and yeah, losing three 0 and and having a competitive game of football is certainly better than just getting thumped twelve nil. Um, but yeah, this is the the lowest possible rung of women's football in, in Bayern uh, that I was watching last night. It was great. The floodlights were on, so I got to drink a beer on the sideline. Yeah, it was it was a nice footballing experience. The mist settling down in the valley in Katzwang. So does that mean uh, your wife's football team, RTV, are they, are they now the official club of the podcast? Are we are we now diehard RTV fans? We're both starting at the bottom, <laughs> blazing a new trail together. So it's it's a match made in heaven. I hadn't thought about it. They do already have a, a shirt sponsor. When the money starts rolling in, well, maybe we'll talk about sp- uh, shirt sponsorship or training. Well, no, I think we just we just need to track them, and you could give us the highlights when you go and see the game. I think we just say it, say it, and and it'll happen. And if we say it enough, that's how this podcast started. <laughs> we just say it enough, it'll happen. <laughs> yeah, a lot of optimism is the fuel <laughs> for, for both of these endeavours. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to the transfer window when Artifao attempted to buy like a really expensive Brazilian attacking left winger, Mercurial, you might say. <laughs> Mercurial. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any transfer funds at any point. There, there might be some new players. Uh, coming in they do need a few they've only just managed to get a couple of substitutes available for matches so the more the merrier so if you are a female listener in the Nuremberg area looking for a football club uh yeah get in touch we we, we have a team for you yeah we can be we could be like the scouts you know that that's that's that could be our function within this this milieu yeah you start st- studying sport law I'll, I'll look into contract stuff and then we'll become the Deckers from Home Sports Agency. I'm currently reading Inverting the Pyramid, so I'll, I'll get with you, don't worry. Oh, bloody hell, you're miles ahead already. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know about this already? <laughs> <laughs> 
And, you know, I'm just preparing myself for the inevitable call from the uh, England national team when they're in dire straits and they need a, a Geordie bloke to shout with the football team. They're like, Sam Allardyce worked, let's get a younger one of him. <laughs> oh, that is harsh. That is incredibly harsh. I feel, I feel insulted. Listeners, if, if you have time and you don't know who Sam Allardyce is, just look up Gravy Drinker and you'll find <laughs> exactly what you're looking for. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is I'm happy to insult you at this distance because we are, as always, recording remotely. If I was in a room with you, I wouldn't call you Sam Allardyce. <laughs> I wouldn't insult him to his face either. So, yeah, it's, in a way, there's respect there. So I'm going <laughs> to buy a black book and you're going to be the first name in that book. Yeah. Aside from Aside from watching football, under the floodlights what else have you been up to yeah we got more fish <laughs> listeners remember that uh we went fish shopping and we got two little fishies called maracuya and peaches the fish that was left in the move we called wanda was a big old goldfish and i'm sorry to report that the wanda has passed in, into the next life so we had to do a little burial and um little service for wanda and then a couple of days later my wife needed to replace the spirit of wandering the pond so now we have two more fish paid my respects on saturday you did nick nick has had a guided tour <laughs> yeah it was emotional <laughs> yeah weirdly it was a little bit but um hopefully the new fish will live long and prosper and not not just like breed to high heaven and then we're left with some sort of like backyard goldfish market <laughs> that we're trying to get out from under surely in that scenario it's an emporium has to be a backyard fish emporium. I've only got two sheds. I don't think that's enough for an emporium. How many outhouses <laughs> equivalent to an emporium? I don't know. I think we're going to have to investigate what an emporium actually is. <laughs> I'm thinking display cases. Display uh, cases. Is what, I'm, what I'm imagining. Yeah, yeah. I guess it would. I'm some kind of attractive lighting. I'd imagine that's what you have. Some kind of point of sale. You need all of that jazz. I don't think the finanzams are going to like this one, but <laughs> just doctor, don't tell them. I heard, I heard they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell from experience they do. <laughs> they really, really care. More on that in another episode about yeah, getting stung for tax. Anyway, enough about me. Enough about football and fish. What about you? You're the one with things to report. How is the sweet, sweet taste of freedom? Now that you've left the world of corporate English training, it's yeah. time to just like vent and like slam the industry. We've both done a decade in it each. I've got a lot to say, but I need to distill it <laughs> into something a bit more, a bit more crystal. But yeah, I've I've changed jobs. I've uh, for ten years I've been teaching English to private companies, and now I'm working for for a university. It's all very exciting. It's very different. It's funny because. You're sort of used to British universities, so in my head I had like a, the image of a British university. It's nothing like that. I mean, the building I'm working out of is basically a tower block that's shared with loads of private companies. Yeah, it's a bit strange. That's where my office is. I've got an office. Ooh. It's quite exciting too. Uh, I've got my name on the door and everything. Shared office? Yeah, it's or... a shared office. <laughs> I'm not that cool. Sorry, I didn't want to burst your bubble like no, that. No, I mean, hell, it's a, quite... it's a seat where I can go and sit down, and that, that's enough for me. The the campus itself is it's it's dated, but I was I was laughing with someone the other day. I said it's like it's like a university from the seventies, but not to say that it's old. It looks like a university from the seventies, like it's been meticulously maintained to look like a university, <laughs> and it works on every level. It's just funny that it's got very very sort of period features as it were and 
it looks like a set of a movie or something it's really funny but when i went into one room and they were like people used to love this room because it had computers in it but nowadays no one cares it's <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah yeah and then there was one room that had an actual chalkboard oh wow i kind of got excited not that i'd ever use it i'm gonna find a use for it somehow i don't know quite what the use would be but yeah so it's it's very different from working in well basically home office for the last eight, 18 months but very different from the environments that I was working in before the pandemic started. I can't tell you how excited I am not to be teaching IT engineers English. Mm-hmm. There's something about that. But there was, there was someone who said to us today, he was like, well, you know, be careful because not all the students are going to come to your class. And I was like, "Is that what's new? <laughs> what's new? People just not turning up. Oh, wow. Like you need to come and work in the corporate English business English environment <laughs> when you're in a room for an hour on your own because nobody could be asked to go to your class. Yeah, that's something that happens quite often. I think in the future we'll probably talk a bit more in more detail about about being an English teacher in in Germany because I think it's got it's got a lot of interesting points. But I, I think at the moment. I'm just going to put a nice bit of distance between me that's, and that. That's certainly fair enough. I mean, the majority of people that we've taught over the years, that's hun- hundreds and mm-hmm. hundreds of Germans and all, all sorts of nationalities as well. Mm-hmm. There has been a desire, at least I've been told there's a desire, definitely for British English teachers. And it does seem now that there's going to be, the door is now open for, for the Americans to come over and really mm-hmm. take over that market. Because, yeah, British people, it's going to be very hard to do ESL or EFL jobs Mm-hmm. Uh, on the continent now far more challenging than for others so so yeah it gives us a chance to raise our rates i guess <laughs> we're niche now <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to get mixed up in the differences the differences are so small between american and british english and to be honest a lot of the faculty that i work with are american mm-hmm. or canadian it's probably likely that's going to happen is there's going to be more american english speakers again especially if the the, the revive this idea of having a free trade treaty with the US, it would probably make travel mm-hmm. a bit easier, probably make some agreement. But there's, there's already a lot of American yeah, yeah. English trainers. I, I mean, we've met loads in our time, sure. There isn't really a, a dominant nationality in the companies that I've worked with. Um, obviously, yeah, there are a lot of Brits, there are a lot of Americans, there's been plenty of Australians, a couple of Israelis, uh, there's, there's been all sorts of nationalities that, that do teach English. But yeah, there is definitely the slight upper hand I've had it throughout that yeah my accent in particular is is pretty mm-hmm. desirable mm-hmm. and obviously yours is is really mind-blowingly interesting for them as well they're like wow I've got a real <laughs> a real British person it would be it would be desirable <laughs> I guess if they had ever thought of hiring a Geordie to teach them English there is some humor in the concept that I'm doing or there's some humor in the idea that I'm teaching pronunciation that kind of makes me mm-hmm. laugh. The dream is that there'll be like 60-odd students knocking around the university campus just going, I'll read, I, I'm Canny, I, am Tony, I, I, we, Nick, Nick, tell us this was the correct way to speak like. It's just us as a pronoun for everything. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm going to have to go into classes and go, yeah, yeah, I'm teaching grammar, and by the way, I will make this mistake all the way through the class. Welcome, welcome to my dialect. <laughs> Because, yeah, I mean, for listeners who aren't EFL trainers or ESL trainers, like, even when I'm talking to Nick, like, my ears pick up when he makes that mistake. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's, it's regional, it's okay, it's fine. It's vernacular speech, exactly. I tell you. Exactly. It's vernacular speech. And I do respect it greatly. Okay. But there is a part of me that's like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about one person. The fact I made that mistake during the uh, interview 
and they're still hired mm-hmm. us. So maybe it's just it's just a bit of colour, you know? It's just a bit of colour in the class. Are you sure they've hired just you and not, like, two people? Is your name on there twice? Is Nick Cowton senior and junior? They think they've got a father and a son with this <laughs> us pronoun the whole way. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought there was two of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're really well paid. Yeah, I wondered. I wondered why there was there was two names. My name was spelt twice on the door. Interesting. Now I understand. Okay, so it's it's October already, and it's October the 9th when this episode drops. And yeah, it really does feel like autumn's here. And I'm already dealing with being swamped by fallen leaves. I don't know how how it is in your garden there. So I've already been busy with the rake and there's about a billion pine needles falling in my garden. Like We've got these really, really pretty right until they shed all their needles, pine trees in our garden. And yeah, I'm starting to get the feeling, the slight vibe of fear that snow is only around the corner. We've had a pretty weird summer, so I'm kind of ready for snow in October. Some such madness. Why wouldn't there be snow? It seems totally on point for this year, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not particularly afraid of it because... I suppose now I'm taking public transport. I should be more worried about it. I'm going to get some decent shoes. That's the way mm. forward, right? Some solid boots. That's what you need. Plenty of plenty of solid boots. <laughs> the issue is, for the first time ever, I am solely responsible for the driveway and path outside of our house. The, no more of these like sly grins as I hear my housemeister sweeping salty, gravelly snow outside my window to earn their winter paycheck. Now, as, as a renter, where there's only us in this house, I'm liable for any and all broken bones out front. And I'm damned if I'm going to test the extremities of my insurance coverage this winter by letting some neighbour slip on my watch. Seems sensible. Welcome, welcome to the true life of a German. Getting up at six in the morning to scrape your patio, <laughs> or even better, waking up at like 10 to 8 and realising you've only got 10 minutes to clear what is effectively a snowdrift outside your house. Yeah, my anxiety's building. This is, this is great. This is lovely. Um, have you got any recommendations for a good brand of snow shovel? Yeah, definitely get a metal one. And don't get don't get one of them plastic shits because they're useless. That's that's what I learned. Mm-hmm. Don't have a cobbled street out the front of your house. That's another really important thing. If you if you can avoid if you can avoid having that outside okay. your house, you, your life's going to be easy. If it's a nice bit of tarmac, it's the job's two minutes. Dead easy. Should be no yeah. problem. But if you've got any kind of broken path, any kind of dodgy tarmac in cobblestones, you're going to be there a while. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. I'm gonna paint flames on my uh, my shovel and just be like the weird neighbour. So enthusiastic, getting really excited about the fact that I don't have just, cobbles. Just, just singing the German <laughs> national anthem as you're scraping the the snow away from the front of the house. I, I think that's, it's a it's a pretty dangerous game. The Englishman singing the na- German national anthem outside his house in the mornings. I, I just do born in the USA and let them think that I'm an American. <laughs> when I was doing it, I felt like I'd I'd really achieved some some new level of Germanness that I hadn't hadn't even considered yeah i say like i've never had to do it because i've just been a renter in a property with lots of apartments and you're just like an anonymous person paying your your deposit and that whereas now mm-hmm. there is yeah i live here people know i live here and i have to do it it looks like home ownership as well mm-hmm. <laughs> which i guess is a pretty key rung on that ladder uh, of being a, a truly successful german it's when you start doing it and other people are doing it at the same time Usually it's blokes doing it and you can sort of nod sagely to your neighbour and go, fucking shit this. <laughs> well, we've got a, v- a very nice father of the family who lives in one of the houses next to us called Uwe. Uwe's a very hands-on man. He's a very well-rounded mm-hmm. German man. He's always 
popping out from like neighbors' houses, having done something impressive for them, whether it be cut down a tree or just take care of something for them. So I'm a little bit concerned that he's going to be like, okay, yeah, Simon's English. He doesn't know how to do this. He's going to do it for me. And then I'm going to have to like challenge his authority on sweeping my snow away for me. And this, is, this is where I'm going. <laughs> and then you're obligated to give them like some kind of gift in return. And then you're getting a weird gift cycle of gifts for gifts. And then, and then before you know it, I guess you're a member of their family. I think that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, they're a nice family. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be down for that. I, he's, thir- he's 38 in English. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> they don't prepare them for this kind of weather. It, as well as being cause of anxiety, it is also a legal requirement as well. So it is, as all good things are in Germany, enshrined. Uh, in German law. Uh, so the homeowners or renters must keep sidewalks free of ice and snow between 7am and 8pm. Naturally, on top of that, every German community has its own rules on top of that regarding snow and ice on sidewalks to avoid accidents. That's probably enough on snow. It's not snowing. Hopefully it doesn't snow soon. So all of this is moot. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to work out whether you wanted it to snow or you didn't want it to snow. It sounded at the beginning that you didn't want it. And then you seem to get a bit bit misty-eyed when you start talking about scraping paths i am i'm looking forward to like the seasons here i'm really excited about going for walks in in the rainy forest and then when the snow comes it's going to be beautiful and yeah christmas in germany like we're going to talk about christmas in germany a lot along the way here i'm mm. sure well they've already started selling stolen so it must be pretty close to christmas it, that seems to be indicator we're not even having halloween this year apparently we're just going straight to let's eat stolen and speculatus and all the other lovely things i was at my parents-in-law the other day and they already had a chocolate Weihnachtsmann. Oh, really? I can't work out if it was from last year or if it's from if they've just bought it. <laughs> I, I didn't query it because it just seemed like, well, every shop seems to be selling Christmas stuff, so why why not buy one? It seems reasonable. I mean, I love Stollen. I'm a massive, massive fan of Stollen, but I refuse to buy it at this point. It's, it's too soon. Like, I, I, I can't get into it at this point in the year. It'll be four months of stolen otherwise no but can't, i've been can't having this that. this back and forth with people on twitter since last year about toast and stolen because it's definitely the way to eat stolen anyway <laughs> my wife said what do you want to do at the weekend and i said i'm gonna buy some stolen and she went no you're not <laughs> said, well, why not and she's like i refuse to let you buy stolen until next month <laughs> and i said well she said it in such a way that i was like there's no there's no talking around so you're gonna like buy some covert stolen and like a covert toaster <laughs> in, in yeah, basement. i'm just gonna hide the stolen from my wife how would you hide it i'd just be like if you were you eating stolen and i look at her and just my, my lips are rimmed with like white icing sugar <laughs> no stolen. No. yeah you should see through that very quickly it's true you can't eat <laughs> get it all, all over your face I'm like, yeah that's just how i eat i, I just like to rub it in my face it's like my daughter does when she's eating. She seems to have taste buds and her eyes sockets because she keeps rubbing spaghetti sauce into her face. So. It's the Houghton way. <laughs> yeah, it's how we've been doing it for nigh on generations. October the 9th. I know people look forward to these things. It's also Curious Events Day. Mm, how curious. We are, no doubt about it, very much existing in a time rife with some pretty curious events and conspiracy theories are definitely a bit of an issue so if you are apprehensive about conspiracy theories and curious events you can take this one day uh, to like dip your toe into those cloudy waters of curious events you can ask yourself the big questions i mean does the loch ness monster exist think about it does it i thought about it a lot <laughs> as a kid i was pretty convinced 
And then, like, every time you see, like, the evidence, this is in inverted commas for the listener, because obviously you can't see me ironically doing it. But <laughs> can't see the irony. You just can't see the irony. It's not as thick as you would want it to be. But every time you see, like, evidence of the Loch Ness Monster, it's always the hokiest bullshit, like, thing. And it's such a good, oh, it'd be great if it was real, but it's, it's obviously not, but it would be great. It would be my favourite thing. To find out that oh, I found the Loch Ness monster, but like, oh, it's amazing, dinosaur. Yeah, but unfortunately, that that line would then be followed up. It died. <laughs> it would be. Like, <laughs> we found it. We killed it. Yeah, we killed uh, it. We're whoops. Eat, we're currently eating it. It's delicious. Okay, so yeah, you've already you've already made your mind up on that. How that crop circles. You want, want to think on them a little? When we no? were kids, that was a massive thing, right? It, for a long time, people were convinced by the, and it turned out it was just some farmer with a bit of wood. I think that's what it was. Wasn't mm-hmm. he trying to get attention for his maze or something? I can't remember what it was, but like, I remember the first, when they was it maybe late eighties when I remember my dad having a newspaper and it would be in one of the front page stories about this, mm. this crop circle, and then it turned out it was just it was just people, right? Yeah, yeah. we'd love to have the idea if it's UFOs, but it's just people. There have been a series of people that have appeared on TV shows, being like, "I'm the one that did the crop circle," and everyone's just bummed out. Like, there's no winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone's like, well, fuck you for lying to us. And now I'm sad there's no aliens. I like the people who, even after hearing that, are like, no, it's still aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That person's a liar. This one done in a logo of a company, Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> no, it says Peugeot. <laughs> what are you doing? I, Peugeot, that's a difficult one to do, in fairness. Like, of, of all the car manufacturers, I think I'd go for VW. Or BMW would be a bit easier as well. Okay, what about one that's grown in popularity recently? I even saw... The Queen has been accused of this. Is the world really run by a reptilian elite race? I like the terrifying tap tap noise you made. I was I was worried something was behind me. No, I didn't make that noise. Oh my god, it's in the room with us. I mean, why not? The the rich seem like cold blooded motherfuckers, so why not? Right, David Icke. Why why wouldn't there be a bunch of reptile aliens who are bathing in the blood of I don't know children? I think it is. I think that's the. The story, right? I mean, that's, that's the theory, yeah. Obviously, yeah. it's bullshit, but if tomorrow the front page newspaper was that Boris Johnson has been unmasked as some kind of elite reptilian alien creature at the Tory conference, I would be like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Don't even need the evidence. I'd believe it if it didn't have the word elite in it. <laughs> a mediocre <laughs> lizard king. We didn't even get invaded by the good aliens. We got invaded by like the worst, like the, the bullshit race of aliens. The proper aliens come down, they go, oh, you got invaded by those guys. Oh, that sucks. Really, for you, it's terrible. They've got a weird thing. They just want to take away people's like money when yeah. they're really poor. Like It's a really weird fetish they've they, got. They, 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 all, they all want to load of stuff on the internet and then fly in rockets. Up, like Not quite into space, but close enough to brag about it and then come back down. <laughs> so there we go. Curious Events Day. One curious event did grab my attention in the recent news cycle. One that is for sure a dash curious and ties into the story we've actually done in the past. And it's got one hell of a headline on it. The headline is, Shakira says two wild boars attacked her in Barcelona Park. What a headline. If that wasn't the most read article on The Guardian that day, I don't know what was. Uh, It's got Shakira, it's got two wild boars and the verb attack. Uh, So yeah, it's definitely a, a, a click bait headline if ever i've seen i'm sure listeners are going hang on barcelona isn't in germany but i think in fairness there is a connection because we've already had a bit of a chat about wild boars being released into the community 
in in Germany and or not so much released they're actually re- being rewilded into the into certain areas there's a few a few areas there's a, Erlangen's got a, a sanctuary for boars there's one around the the corner from us it's quite quite common in Bavaria for it to come up but it, it sounds to me from the story these weren't mild-mannered German boars <laughs> these seemed like proper ruffians from from what I read in the BBC article. <laughs> From the wrong side of the tracks. You are right. We cited them, I think, as the most dangerous animal in Germany when we spoke about them before. If they weren't the the most dangerous, they're definitely in the top five, that's for sure. And I mean, this is proof, <laughs> if, if proof was needed, of that claim. And I mean, they've now taken it upon themselves to attack multi-platinum album-selling, hip-swinging Colombian songstresses. How ruddy dare they? Like, that's really, that's not okay. And luckily, Shakira was kind enough to share this on her Instagram. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? Like, I don't even do Instagram that much. If I got attacked by a boy, you better believe I'd be <laughs> you would. making a live uh, video of that, that <laughs> happening. So in the post, she held up this like dirty and torn bag as evidence. I said the boars tried to carry it off into the woods. And she said, look how they left my bag. <laughs> look how they left my bag. The two wild boars that attacked me in the park, she said. They were taking my bag to the woods with my phone in it. They've destroyed everything. I mean, we are happy and we have to report that Shakira herself was unharmed. Just her, her bag that was good. And that is indeed good that she was fine. But I mean, these beasts are becoming a little bit more problematic, it seems. The first thing I thought was, like, this is a park. You wouldn't, you wouldn't walk through many parks. Maybe a nature park you might find in Germany that would have wild boars in it. But you wouldn't be walking through the Stadtpark of most places and then get set upon by a gang of street-tough boars <laughs> who want to steal your handbag. Street that just doesn't tough happen. Boars. Oh, I wish, I wish it happened more. I reckon they look like the Peaky Blinders <laughs> and they came out of the woods with their waistcoats on to cause bother. Don't have wild boars just knocking around in parks. And so that piqued my curiosity as to why in Barcelona you would find wild boars attacking people. And apparently there's been a problem there for a while, that wild boars have mm. been roaming the city and, and, and attacks have increased exponentially every year, pretty much. Left unchecked, pigs pigs will breed, you know. It's quite common. Yeah, so you just had just more and more of them, but then it made me think about like how dangerous are boars, and it turns out incredibly dangerous. <laughs> I mean, as you said before, that they were the most dangerous animal in Germany. I think we mentioned this a few a few months back but didn't go into any vast detail. But the, the UK ambassador to Austria was attacked by a wild mm. boar, and that was back in 2017, again, walking through the woods. So it is something that, that happens. But it's kind of funny that the only well-known boar attack in Germany was more comedic than it was yeah. an actual sort of tragic story. Very high-profile one. A gang of wild pigs stole a laptop from a man who was sunbathing nude in Berlin and not wanted to lose his laptop. The guy jumped up and started chasing the boar and her two piglets. Uh, did recover his laptop, but he was paparazzoed, and so his naked ass was shown around the world chasing these boar to get his laptop back obviously it's a little bit embarrassing i imagine at the time mm-hmm. but the man has now become an icon to the point that if you are a, a model railway enthusiast it's possible to order a model of him naked chasing a pair of wild boar uh, a wild boar and her two kids if that's what you want to do there's no judgment like if you want to get a little shrine to naked men chasing boar with your little models you do you <laughs> Salt, vinegar, ketchup, mayo, brown sauce, gravy. Does your favourite match your local region? So, Nick, 
If I'm offering you chips, what are you having? Salt, vinegar, ketchup, mayo, brown sauce, gravy, cheese. Cheese. I mean, that's a good show. Partial to the old, like, salt, vinegar mm -hmm. combination. But I'd probably, if I'm choosing a condiment, other than those two, it would be mayo. I like yeah. chips and mayonnaise. How far you've come. Yeah. You are really European. What about you? I change. I, I, I'm not a consistent person when it comes to this. Mayo, big fan of that. Sometimes I like mustard. Like a, a reasonably spicy mustard is quite good with fries as well. Salt, for sure. But probably not vinegar. Rarely ketchup. Brown sauce, I, I would definitely, if it was there. Gravy, yes, please. Love that. Cheese, yeah. I, I'm... I'm open to anything, really. I, I don't fit into a stereotype. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> can't put, you can't put Simon in a box. Exactly. But we're about to put other people in boxes here. <laughs> so when it comes to the mighty chip, uh, the fry, for our American listening audience, when it comes to the pommes, the majority of Britons definitely prefer theirs with salt and vinegar. It is, it's the classic, and it's half the population are like you, Nick, where they go for both. According to the good people at YouGov, uh, yeah, that's right. YouGov <laughs> did a survey on chip condiments and sauces. So, I mean, if it's good enough for them, then it's, it's, it's definitely good enough for us. After that, ketchup is a big one. Of course, that's, that's a worldwide favourite. Half of respondents like that for their chip attack. On a national scale, nothing comes close. But there are regional differences, and that's what I wanted to talk about, because I think this is an interesting part of British culture. There are these geographical elements to this. So I'm going to ask you what you think is the region that loves each sauce the most. So the first one I'm going to start is mayo. So where in the UK do you think mayo is the preferred or the most loved? If I'm thinking about it logically, I would have thought that it wouldn't be in Scotland and it wouldn't be in the north because I would think that that was some kind of southern frivolity. <laughs> so, like, mayonnaise is probably fair. Like, I would say, like, so far south, it's the Isle of Wight or something like that. Yeah, I, the Isle of Wight would make a nice bit of linguistic sense there. Your logic has prevailed. It is, in fact, Londoners. Uh, so not as southern as, as the Isle of Wight, but it is Londoners who are the most eager to use mayo than those living in any other region. But, yes, yeah, southerners, definitely, it's 22% people in the southerners the east and the midlands as well less than 17 percent of northerners welsh or scottish uh, would go for mayo so very impressive instincts here so let's see if you can continue next up is brown sauce so which part of the uk loves a bit of brown sauce on their chips well you have different versions don't you because scotland has a particular type of brown sauce on their chips i think it's got mm -hmm. like, extra vinegar in it it's very liquidy so that like i remember that from being a kid in Scotland. So I would have said Scotland has some brown sauce aficionados. Oh, Nick, you're smashing this. It is so popular. It's twice as popular in Scotland than anywhere else in the country. And you rightly mentioned that they do have their own. And apparently it's called chippy sauce. And yet 22% of Scottish people will have brown sauce on theirs. And that's compared to 13% of Northerners. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really popular there. Or you would go at the chippy and you'd order and they, would, they wouldn't say tomato sauce. We'll just say brown, brown or red. red. Yeah. Just red sauce. <laughs> brown sauce is definitely yeah. an iconic thing. When we talk about brown sauce, we normally are referencing HP sauce. And I mean, yeah, it has its roots in the Midlands where it was created, but it's now iconic and it's called HP sauce because of Houses of Parliament. And so on the bottle, you have the House of Parliament. And now it's made in the Netherlands. So yeah, moving from the Netherlands to Germany, a mm. German icon is, of course, my beloved currywurst. And so curry sauce is a great option for chips. So where in the UK do you think has curry sauce? Okay, but again, would you would have to 
differentiate the sources because the curry sauce you get in the UK is it's curry. For want of a more applicable phrase, proper curry, right? Whereas mm-hmm. curry, curry ketchup, which you get in Germany, mm-hmm. is a quite sweet condiment that I'm never, I'm never entirely convinced actually goes with anything. But there is like a, a love in Germany for the concept of curry. Not the concept of curry as in like spicy curry, just like the idea of it. Yeah, the, the spice blend called curry they like, the Gewurzmischung, yeah. I was speaking to a, a German friend the other, the other day who was bemoaning the fact that you'll often get a schnitzel sandwich from the place near his office and it's doused in some kind of curry sauce, which he said was the mm. foulest thing he'd ever could, or could ever conceive of, which I, I agree, like schnitzel and curry sauce seems like a bizarre option. But the British curry sauce that you get, it's absolutely nothing to do with India or Pakistan or Bangladesh or any of any curry loving nation. It is sort of the bastardization. It has curry flavors in it. But I've yet to see anyone from any country that produces any kind of curry dish lionizing <laughs> the taste of British curry sauce. But I would have guessed, if I'm thinking curry sauces, I would have said northern. I wouldn't say, I'd say that. The North is a homogenous concept. It would it doesn't quite work because I know there's places that like lots of different condiments there. But I think I'd say like Northeast would be okay. Northeast Northwest maybe. You got this one wrong. I'm afraid. I'm I'm very sad to report. Oh no. Yeah, it's actually Guys. it's the Welsh. The Welsh are the ones really? that love this edgy chip action. Yeah, one in four, a quarter of Welsh people go for curry sauce. I would have thought they'd gone for like gravy, which would be Bratten sauce of Deutsch, but they would have, which I guess for Germans hearing this would be like, why would you put Bratten sauce on chips? That sounds ridiculous. Or, or Pommes, Pommes of Bratten sauce. But actually, it's a great, great idea. But yeah. Gravy is coming next. And of course, when we talk about gravy versus Bratten sauce, one of the key differences is that most British people have a much thicker gravy than you would a mm. Bratten sauce. And it, it works on chips. But if you put German Bratwurst sauce on chips, it just soaks it up. It's a chip sponge. It's a recipe for a bad time. So yeah, that's, that's our little little footnote there. And so yeah, if you are looking for a good curry sauce and you're in the UK, get on the M4, go to Wales apparently. Nick mentioned gravy. Let's deal with gravy. Where is gravy loved the most in the UK as a chip condiment? I'm guessing like Burnley, Bradford, Derby. He's calling cities out and he's right. Those sorts of areas seem like gravy country. <laughs> he's totally right. Gravy country is indeed that part of the UK. Yeah, it's, it's basically, it's the north. <laughs> the north is all. A fifth of northerners uh, pour gravy on their chips, apparently. Just 4% of Londoners do it. If there is a, a clearer example of the north-south divide and how London-centric anti-gravy propaganda has got out of control, I don't know what has. So thank you, YouGov, for, for releasing this information. The stuff you put on chips <laughs> in Britain, like one of the, the, the most enjoyable things you can do of a summer is go to, and, and certainly this is something I really enjoyed over the summer, was Saturday or a Sunday, walk in the park. A lot of parks that don't have wild boars, but they do have a lot of sort of Wirtschaft or like little restaurants with like a what you'd see, think of as a beer garden, but it's not. Everything's outside, so there's like an outdoor restaurant, and you go up to the window and you order, and it's basically pretty fast food. You can order a couple of beers, you can get soft drinks and ice creams and things, and you can just sit at a table and and, and do that, and it's quite nice. If I ordered Pommers and then asked them to put Bratton sauce on, I think they would refuse. I get a feeling they would refuse and say, no, we don't do that here. 
you would get you get ketchup sachets mayonnaise sachets and do you get any others you might get what they call burger sauce here which is basically mayo and right, yeah, ketchup yeah. together but no, that'd be it it's not that they should do it particularly I, it's not something that people do here so i no. don't i'm not bemoaning their choices i think as i've said mayonnaise is a perfectly great condiment it for is putting on your chips anyway no beef with mayo here no with the cheese thing haven't you seen have you, have you seen people knocking around with those little um takeaway tubs you can get from a, a kebab donut place and they have chips and then kebab meat on the top mm-hmm. i've seen those a few times at kids knocking around eating those little tubs <laughs> So I know that's popular, but you've never I've never seen anyone go the f- the whole hog, put a load of cheese on top, which would be the obvious combination of chips, kebab meat, and cheese. Mm. If you're gonna have a heart attack, you might as well do it right. I mean there's also this points in the direction that the UK is not the only place that has a gravy relationship with chips. And that's because our, our Canadian brethren have a really iconic dish, which is the uh, slightly challenging to say poutine, which is yeah, gravy cheese curds and chips when they say curds do they mean like quark or do they mean quark before it's quark i think it's pre-quark like, does they have a chunk yeah they are they're chunks of cheese like the size of a little finger i guess it's good stuff the quark massa uh, so it's definitely quark adjacent right okay probably before they put it through the the cheesecloth and strained it strained exactly. it out yeah it's lovely recommend if you ever go to canada definitely try poutine it's it's a winner it's got it's got to be one of those things that could become popular i think it's one of those things if if it became popular in berlin mm-hmm. it would become popular in bavaria in about five yeah. years and people would be like if you tried poutine it's the most amazing thing it's from berlin <laughs> yeah. so you could see that being unrolled out like pe- people sort of talking about it and getting excited about it because it's come from up north. <laughs> it is possible before we leave the topic of chips, there are a couple of honourable mentions, some other rands as well that need to be mentioned. Mushy peas, a yeah. super icon. Uh, I don't know how popular there are with young folk uh, today in the UK. Probably not that popular. But I bloody love mushy peas, but I think it's pure nostalgia that does that to me. And yeah, in North Sea, you might see mushy peas, I guess, as a kind of homage to what is the traditional British fish and chip over mm. there. But I haven't seen them anywhere else. Epsom puree doesn't sound right, because it's not puree, it's mush. Anyway... <laughs> Salad cream. Apparently, some people do that as well. Salad cream should only be consumed on a salad or in an, a jam sandwich. That's my what jam sandwich. Jam and salad cream is a fantastic combination, and if you're not eating it, then what you don't you... know what you're missing. <laughs> no, that's really good. What? what? Try try it, jam, and then jam and, and any salad jam cream. and. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's it, strawberry, raspberry classics. Or... Yeah, so be careful. You you really want a raspberry, strawberry combination. You don't want to put like apricot in there because I think that might taste fine. <laughs> yeah. but, but the strawberry strawberry jam or marmaladen uh, and, and some <laughs> salad cream. Aye, it's a great combination. Okay. I've, 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 I've basically left I, I, I really I don't know what to do with that just bemused yeah. <laughs> he's just not sure if I'm joking or whether I'm being, I'm being deadly serious I'm genuinely for a little bit nauseous <laughs> just imagining eating that <laughs> oh. mission accomplished god Nick, you like driving, yeah? I guess. Windows down, systems up, wind through your hair, ragging it along the autobahn. Man, feels so alive. It does sound tempting. Do you want to drive an HGV slash LKV? Because the UK government has asked thousands of Germans residing in the UK to drive lorries 
to assist with the HGV shortage, even if they've never driven one before. So, time to shine! Mm, I mean, <laughs> would you, in all honesty, want me behind the wheel of an articulated truck? If I just, if someone showed me a picture of you and I didn't know <laughs> you, I'd be like, yeah. What a compliment, thank you. But I know you, and I, and I know that one of the biggest cars you've ever driven is a VW up. And I, I think, I'm not sure how you're going to handle that scale. A lot of length. <laughs> You've never had to fend with I, I, I get scared in cars that are bigger than an up because there's too much distance between me and the back window. So imagine how I'd feel if yeah. I was trying to reverse a giant... 16 wheeler imagine being like overwhelmed by driving and going to like a, a psychiatrist and be like i just get so stressed when the window's too far <laughs> I, do. I get I just, when it's too far away I, the get, back of my head. I get a bit nervous <laughs> and unsure of myself so probably better that, that that i don't i don't take up the call from the british government not that i would Oh, it's an amazing insight into your psyche. <laughs> you can just get one of those magnifying, <laughs> magnifying rearview mirrors so it looks closer. You'll no, I just whenever I need to do the shoulder blick, I just get a magnifying glass and look over my shoulder and just go, oh, uh, I think I'm okay. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm better than expected. So no, I don't want you driving out <laughs> these HGVs uh, in the UK. Getting back to the seriousness, because this is a relatively serious matter even if we are talking about it. A letter was sent by uh, the Department for Transport, signed by Transport Minister Baroness Veer. Hmm, a Baroness's signature on that letter. Lucky Germans. In this letter, they asked Germans who live in Britain to, quote, consider returning, end quote, to the HGV driving sector. And the letter states, quote, your valuable skills and experience have never been more needed than they are now. End quote. I like the fact that they chose the Baroness with the most German name to <laughs> sign the document. It's like they didn't have a Baroness Kummerspeck or like Baroness <laughs> Lederhosen or something like that. <laughs> Baroness Lederhosen. <laughs> Baroness, Baroness Dindel. This story, my brother texted me this story on, I think it was came out on Friday, Friday evening, or at least it's, people became aware of it online. And I just, at this point, I just was like, yeah. Seems seems legit. That seems like the kind of desperate approach that they'll be taking to this pretty obvious scenario that we all tried to sort of argue and discuss, but were knocked back for being uh, fatalistic Remainers. Not that I would label myself particularly as a Brexiteer or a Remainer, although I did vote Remain. It does feel a little bit like so many chickens coming very quickly to roost around the, the frankly fucking awful idea of Brexit, but... As much as I want to take the piss, I think it's just depressing, isn't it? It's depressing that the realities occur and get so fucking quickly as well. I mean, when we started this podcast, we said to each other very, very early on that we weren't going to talk about Brexit because mm -hmm. it is, it's a total fucking bummer for both of us. And for a lot of people who listen to us, we know that you are in either a very similar boat to us or the same boat as us. I don't want to hear about it every day and we wanted this podcast to be a safe little space where we didn't talk about things like brexit really and now it's got to the point where it's so ridiculous we kind of have to and the fuck the fuck has created a story that was literally like they could like we couldn't have written a story that'd be more applicable for this podcast than <laughs> no. the british government writing letters to germans living in britain asking them 
without ever checking if they had any experience of driving giant trucks. Like, I don't want to laugh about it, but at the same time, it's something I said to somebody today, is like the British saying of, if you don't laugh, you'd cry. And that's kind of where it, where it, I think we spent four years of basically being in the worst anxiety bubble Mm. of just daily news and horror stories and sadness and bereavement and then it happened and i think people just try to find a way around it and now everything's happening people are like half exhausted half just like yeah of course this is exactly what would happen i think the details of this is what makes it so i'm gonna i'm gonna just gonna hand it back to you and you can take us through the uh the clusterfuck that is this <laughs> this idea well i mean yeah i've been kind in my notes and called it a mix-up um, i mean it's, it's a fuck-up really uh, in the mildest terms it's an oversight this comes from the fact that a german driving license issued before 1999 also included an entitlement to drive a small to medium-sized truck uh, weighing up to 7.5 tons and so a lot of germans who have lived in the uk for a long time would have had a license from pre 1999 it seems that almost all germans in the uk have se- have been sent this letter now and almost none of them have ever driven an hgv uh, before it's it's really impressive i know it's impressive in its idiocy isn't it It, we've been in rooms where bad decisions have been made before and it does feel like it's one of those they've been really clutching at straws trying to find some kind of oh there must be a way out of this mess we've created again it sort of speaks to how these people who come up with these ideas or come up with these policies how they perceive i think the rest of the country but also specifically foreigners and they're like oh the germans have this uh, weird aspect to their driver's license if they're qualified for a driving license before 1999 and they're just like oh well just send them out they hadn't thought oh, so, like a lot of these people probably aren't here to do truck driving jobs when they talk about foreign workers in britain what they mean is people from eastern europe who are coming over to pick food and they talk about them like they're a fucking commodity like mm. they don't have any agency themselves and i think there's a shock in britain when they've been seeing interviews with polish truck drivers specifically because it always seems to be polish truck drivers that they find their conception of europe is is france germany bits of italy and poland they don't even conceive of spain as a as a european country because the bits of spain <laughs> that these people seem to go to are generally english colonies anyway and it just seems like they're totally bereft of any idea of what europe actually is so in order to speak to Brit- average british people you have to have a polish accent in a truck leaning out a window going go fuck yourselves like you didn't want us last like you kicked <laughs> us out the fucking country and now now you're asking us to come back under some stupid restrictive deal nah like enjoy and i think it's today that boris johnson announced like 175 people have actually well, answered the call for truck drivers from around europe and i'm like yeah because you can't shit on people and then it, like i think that again that might be their mentality is that like these people need work mm. and we're giving them work it's like nah mate there's a shortage of drivers all around europe if my option was germany or britain like why would you even consider going to britain it doesn't matter like to be treated by like shit and then to be flung out at the earliest convenience of pretty patel don't get that at all i mean your your only hope i think is is finding the football fans and being like we'll give <laughs> yeah. we'll sort you out premier league tickets if you come for three months no, otherwise like, what, what, what else do you we haven't got much else to offer <laughs> really expensive cost of living mm. unwelcome environment mm. it was a list of german people who'd received or german citizens who'd received this this letter and they were from very diverse backgrounds but none of them were in 
any job that was anything other than kind of an office job, design jobs, management positions, that kind of thing. We do have an example here from the article. It's a 41-year-old German man who received two copies of the letter to his London home, one addressed to him and the other to his wife. And he told The Independent, quote, We were quite surprised. Uh, I'm sure paying conditions for HGV drivers have improved, but ultimately I've decided to carry on in my role as an investment bank. <laughs> my wife has never driven anything larger than a Volvo. She is also intending to decline this exciting opportunity it is nice to know there are specialist jobs available here for us, though, after Brexit. We would never have been headhunted to drive a lorry if we'd gone back to Germany. The level of integration that this 41-year-old German man has achieved, that he's mastered the art of <laughs> sarcasm that is so, so fucking wet. Like, I'm now soaked in sarcasm. It's, it is dripping from those <laughs> sentences. And you could tell he probably said it with a great deal of relish as well or wrote it with a great deal of relish of going like guess guess what happens when you think think stupid ideas are going to be the solution mm -hmm. to all your fucking problems we haven't even got to the bottom of how stupid this idea really is because this letter is part of the same mass mail out that has asked ambulance drivers and paramedics to come and drive hgv vehicles and i, I assume this cycle means yeah. that the next round is going to be asking vets to become ambulance drivers and then teachers will have to retrain as vets. And then, I guess, pub landlords, they're, they're fucked. They'll just retrain as teachers. And then eventually, we'll all end up with jobs. I think I think that's the strategy. Do you remember during the middle of the pandemic, there was those posters about, like, Naomi's retraining in cyber. <laughs> and it was a picture of a ballerina. And everyone's like, what, what the fuck is cyber, right, for a star? Word that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but, like, it's that thing. Is this going to be posters of, like, beer-bellied... 55 year old landlord standing in front of a class of kids teaching them how to pull a pint or something you know which is perfectly important knowledge but at the same time probably isn't going to be on the gcse curriculum i mean i think we work in cyber like we're using laptops i think that's <laughs> that counts <laughs> i mean why not at this point if everyone's just going to be doing like re-upping their jobs in the in the new positions it's one of those th these things where if we hadn't if we hadn't talked about it it would have seemed weird but this is as close mm. as I can get to, to Brexit discussion on this podcast without just spontaneously combusting under the latent anger that are still remains in every cell of my very being. We'd need, we'd need a beep button oh, yeah, for sure yeah. if we do ever do it because it's going to be... I mean, we're already getting a bit lazy with our expletives. It is getting a bit more fruity these days. Um, but a Brexit special would just be us just profaning for 75% of the sentence. It's reliving that experience every time you have one of these stories. It's just going, all oh, right, it's like an instant flashback in the last four mm. years. It just feels exhausting the whole process was exhausting at the time and now just thinking about how many how the ramifications of it is just exhausting because it is just the whole thing's like designed to tie you out i think that's the the concept is just beat you down until mm. you're like yeah okay J just yeah whatever <laughs> i think whenever i feel the struggle i just put on uh, the song safe european home by the clash is that or london's burning <laughs> both are pretty applicable <laughs> So, no one wants to finish the podcast on Brexit chat. With that idea in mind, what we've decided to do is look at two quite similar stories about the current state of Bayern or Bavaria. We're not quite post-pandemic, but we're in the midst of becoming a sort of post-pandemic period. And there's some, some quite interesting news stories that came out, so we, we thought we'd bundle them together. The first story is 
concerning everyone's favourite beer festival, Oktoberfest. <laughs> Except not Oktoberfest 2021. This story covers Oktoberfest 2022, in fact. A story came out over the weekend. Tickets were already being sold online at quite inflated prices to reserve a table for Oktoberfest 2022. Some of these tickets' prices were astronomical. The problem is the tickets being sold actually had no affiliation <laughs> with anyone who runs the Oktoberfest or the breweries and tent managers who run the various bars and beer tents that populate the Oktoberfest festplatz in Munich. It seems from the story that there's a bit of a scam being run uh, online by people who are claiming to have access to these tents and these beer tents, which I think most of them are family run. Uh, certainly there's a documentary I watched where there's there's one family that's run this this beer tent for the last hundred years or something like that. So they're, they're usually family run uh, businesses and they they operate the tents and they do the service and all of these things. Uh, one of these particular owners of the Oxen Bratterai, uh, her name was Antje Schneider. She is suing a particular website portal that has been offering places for her business in 2022. She said, quote, These platforms have never received reservations from us. We deliberately do not give reservations to intermediaries, as these are not about added value for the customers. And so basically what had happened where she discovered that this platform was selling tables for her restaurant without ever actually having any access. Her particular company isn't selling any tickets. They're not doing reservations for, for, for 2022 yet. And what was more interesting was the fact that she pointed out that these tables were actually, you you don't pay for the booking, you pay for the, the tickets to buy beer and food which is usually how you, you do these, the, the, because they don't really do cash at the table. So you get like a line of tickets and you spend the tickets. And um, and that's that's what pays for it, is you, you pay for a certain amount of food and alcohol before you even sit down. It's like profiteering, mm-hmm. a weird kind of profiteering on the back of, of COVID that we've seen lots of pharmaceutical profiteering and, and PPE profiteering and, and various different, medical device profiteering but but haven't have yet to come across oktoberfest profiteering but it goes to show how excited people are for an actual oktoberfest i mean it also goes to show that i mean this is really targeting targeting the like tourist group mm-hmm. because people who are from munich and go to oktoberfest know that this isn't how it works i'm sure a lot of people internationally have been like, oh yeah we'll plan our trip to to Munich for 2022 let's book our tickets and they're getting scammed for I mean it's four figures it's like it's a thousand plus some people have been stung for on this so it's, it's really not a small reservation fee it's it's really a big ripoff I mean there's, there's minimum pricing usually I think it's is it like 50 euros maybe even less than that for 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 the table mm. and you can obviously buy more tickets you're not just having to s- stick with the tickets you've bought you can buy more but it, it wasn't even the fact that they were just selling them before they'd been released L- the landlords and owners and, and operators of these tents haven't even submitted any applications for 20 20 yeah. 2022 it's not even been decided if there will be an oktoberfest 2022 one of the people in charge of the visan area where the oktoberfest takes place said you can't seriously expect table reservations for next year i know germans are long-term thinkers <laughs> <laughs> this even even this is a bit excessive they're already discussing how they can operate a, a safe oktoberfest in 2022 
But I just thought, what a perfect example of the kind of shit that we can expect in the, in the, the post-pandemic is sort of people trying to take the piss as they know a lot of people are going to turn up. I'm, I'm very sure if there is an Oktoberfest in 2022, it is going to be the biggest Oktoberfest big yeah. of all time. And the reason I know this is the second story in our two-story double bill <laughs> is the whole of Bavaria opened their clubs to unmasked customers. Uh, I think it was from sort of 12 a.m. on Saturday. And by all accounts, if you were in Munich on Saturday morning, you might have had the greatest time of your life <laughs> or you were stuck in a queue for about six hours. Because <laughs> it does seem that there was a, a very big difference between certain revelers' experiences on Saturday. The article I read, a lot of the door staff and a lot of the bar owners, club owners, were incredibly surprised by the amount of people who were out. Uh, and I, anecdotally, I was out on Friday night in Erlangen having a few drinks, and it was rammed. And that was just in a small town. Mm. The streets were full. It was like some kind of festival or something. There was so many people out. So that that was in a small, quite parochial area. I can only imagine what it was like in Munich. Mm. And in one instance, there was a club that had 1,500 people waiting outside to the point where police had to be called and had to control the queue. But what was interesting, and I think you'd find this interesting, we've had these discussions about vaccine passports and whether we should treat people who haven't had the vaccine properly. There's been no sort of vaccine passport per se. Germany's been operating the 3G rule, which, and if you live in Germany, everyone will know at this point, which is geimpft, genesen, getested, which is vaccinated, recovered, or tested, which is the idea that, yeah, if you've had the vaccine or you've recovered from COVID and have the antibodies or you have had a recent test, you're allowed to go into certain locations. But the the door staff obviously had their own processes in place and it, by all accounts, they were very strict with this rule, which is great to hear. I didn't honestly, I didn't think we'd get to this point already that you'd have people being allowed or young people specifically being allowed into clubs to party without any masks. If Oktoberfest 2022, anything like the night that the bars opened mm -hmm. in Munich, we might have to go there just to see it because it might just be <laughs> the most insane thing that anyone's ever seen. Well, I mean, it's also worth mentioning that at that point, it'll probably be the 2G regal. There is the threat of that coming in in places all over the country at the moment, and that removes the testing element. Say for 2022's visa, I'm sure it'll be... 2G and I mean yeah it kind of feels like the right time to get back out into a, a massive tent and get absolutely bladdered. It does feel like something's shifted and things are beginning to improve and it was interesting that, that the bars and the clubs took their responsibility seriously. They didn't say something like oh well it's just advisory or yeah, yeah. oh well you don't have to or like ignoring it or letting people in anyway, it was it was done properly and, and I think it's it'll be interesting to see how that develops. I mean in fairness, when I read the description I was like, I would hate to be in those <laughs> those places. The idea of going to a fucking club at this point is horrendous. And it did lead me to one thought. Your first ever club visit? So Simon, do you remember the first time you ever went to a club? I mean, I've never been big on clubs, like it's really not my vibe, not my scene. But I imagine Oh my god! I think the first club I went to uh, would have been uh, it was called Bojangles 
Uh, in always called Bojangles. <laughs> I think it, it changed its name to Harper's, uh, and it was it was probably the, the most successful nightclub in town. They've always got rubbish names. Like the, the first club I went ever went to was called Rosie's, mm. and it was in Falkirk, and it was as bad as it sounds. Smoke machines, banger boys, and really cheap alcohol. Lots of buckfast, as it's Scotland, mm. and terrifying levels of Ralph Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my experience of early 2000s clubbing. I mean, then we got the transition to like elements, so it was like liquid. <laughs> Inferno. Yeah, I had a liquid. There was a liquid in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. In in Augsburg, the hard and this was a real culture shift for me. Was the club the hard? The first club I went to in Germany was called the Yum Club, mm. and I, I'd already thought that sounds really suspect. And it became clear as I came down the stairs into the club that had a full length, long bench table full of Haribo. Which you would ne- you definitely can't get. You won't be getting that anymore. <laughs> That'll never be happening. Like you would never, you'd never get that in Britain for a start. They would never allow drunk, pissed up students to access free Haribo. There'd be some poor bugger picking Haribo out of the carpet. But it was very well maintained. It didn't seem to be too messy. And um, I was introduced to the uh, the, the the shots of vodka uh, chased with a, a bag of sherbet, which were very much the popular choice. Where you get like a particular type okay. of of sherbet, I forget what the name of the brand was. It was like a hoy or something like that. Yeah, I had a Waldmeister flavor as well, of course, which was like it's like a herby flavor. You would swallow the sherbet and do the vodka shot, or vice versa. I can never remember which. And and that was that was my experience of German clubbing. Was listening to Peter Fox on a mad sound system, knacking shots of vodka until. I could barely walk, and then eating my body weight in Haribo on the way out. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> Hello, Freunde. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40%German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! I haven't given you all without saying this week. Um, I keep forgetting to do that. Um, <laughs> do you want to do the Shakira? I'm at your feet. What was this? One of the stupid lines. It was like my breasts like mountains or something. <laughs> um, uh, hips don't lie. <laughs> was that the song? That was his first song, right? It was hips don't lie. Or was it? I think that's what it's called. I don't know the names of her songs, mate. I can see the video. <laughs> that helps. Shakira hits. That's what I'm looking. Wacka, was it Wacka? Wacka? <laughs> was Wacka Wacka the one she did for the um, World I have no Cup? No idea, mate. Um. Uh, 
or without saying I'll be there and you'll be near and that's the deal, my dear. <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> right, let's put that to the Okay. Let's rock and roll. Ooh. Welcome to Decades oh. from Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, I'll be there and you'll be here, and that's the deal, my dear. Is it you'll be near? <laughs> yeah, I got the line wrong. How <laughs> fucking depressing is that? Again. <laughs> I know. I'll be there and you'll be near, and that's the deal, my dear. That's terrible. There's a lot of enunciation <laughs> on that. <laughs> I know. It's like... Let's try it again. Welcome to... De- <clears throat> Welcome to Decades from Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, I'll be there and you'll be near, and that's the deal, my dear. <laughs>